there, FC Dallas Curious fan, and welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter, and we have all of the good guys here today, including the man that managed the best and greatest TIFO in Pizza Hut Park Toyota Stadium history, Dan Crook. How are you doing, Dan? Uh, can I get that statement in writing, please? Absolutely. I thought that thing yes. was epically good. Thank you. Did it go off without a hitch? No, it went off with a lot of hitches. Oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you noticed, but the right arm of it was actually just reduced to a zigzag because it got caught up on the netting. Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, no. There was more to the TIFO than we got to see? Uh, no. No. I mean, you know, if you use your imagination, it was there. It was just some parts that looked like a zigzag. All right, and then um, how long did it take you guys, and how many people, how many man hours, how many person hours, let me be uh, gender fluid here, uh, how many person hours went into that? Good question. Uh, let's see, there were 15 people that helped for like an hour. <laughs> uh, there was like four of us that did most of it. So the, fifth, uh, so the one hour is the Peter Welpton tier. The rest of it is the Dan Crook tier. Is that what you're saying? Uh, most of it was the uh, the, the Buzz character practice and then right in a breakdown immediately after tier. Okay, awesome. Well, it was uh, wonderful and epic, and I uh, love seeing that stuff, and I'm glad the team lets you... Uh, uh, works with you on getting that stuff knocked out. I thought it looked fantastic. And, of course, uh, the, rounding out the trio is your hero and mine, founder and co-editor of ThirdDegree.net and from the Dallas Morning News, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Calling in today from uh, East Rutherford, New Jersey, where I'm ready for USA and Mexico in two weeks. Oh, see, I thought for sure you were calling in from whatever uh, place you had lunch with Luchi Gonzalez at earlier this week. Mm, yes, well, that was in Frisco. No, I, that that lunch ended. That was just one day. No, Did you <laughs> not <guys> still there. <laughs> sit at a romantic small table with a candle and look at each other in the eyes and talk soccer formations mm, for a few well, hours? I don't know if we were looking at each other's eyes that much, but we definitely talked soccer for about an hour and a half. It was nice. Yeah, yeah I bet. Jealous. Well, you know, you got to lay the you got to lay the groundwork with people, you know, and and part of that sometimes is uh, having conversations with them that are just about the general nature of soccer and their philosophy and how they see things big picture, how their job fits in the scheme of where they in the, of the club and such things like that. So uh, it was productive in that terms, and uh, I enjoyed it. All right, good dude, nice getting to know him. All right, so I got a question for you, and you got you promised to answer honestly. Um, I'll try. Who paid? Oh, he did. Yeah. Shill. Shill. Yeah. Shill, shill. Shill. Buzz is shill a shill. Yeah. Paid, paid shill. <laughs> paid shill. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, what did you have for lunch? Uh, I had a um, turkey uh, sandwich and a Greek salad. We went to um, Zoe's right up there off of uh, right by the stadium. Hmm. So he Whoa, paid down. endorsement. Yeah. Plug, paid plug. In. Yeah. Hummus. <laughs> had some hummus. <laughs> <laughs> now it's an official. Zoe's is yeah. an official sponsor of Third yeah, Degree sponsor the, of the Podcast. Pod. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what did he have for lunch? Uh, I don't remember. Unfortunately, please tell me it had one of those giant weirdo looking chocolate chip cookies they sell at Zoe's. No, no, no. that was a pretty good. No, one. I mean it was healthy, whatever it was. I don't remember. I mean I didn't pay attention to that level of detail what he was doing. Did you, Dan? Have you had one of those cookies? Yes. That's why I said that pretty good. <laughs> why did you well, say that? Like you were afraid to admit it. Well, I, immediately being asked that after saying those are pretty good, I was 
I wasn't sure if you were uh, actually being serious and asking. Well, yeah, no, I, they're like the size of a dinner plate, and the the hunks of chocolate in it are the are small rocks, and I always wondered if they're any good. Uh, so I'll take your word for it. I suspect yeah. you've probably had more than one. I mean, I've I've had one a long time ago. It's been a while. They could be terrible now, for all I know. Probably, I'm sure they've. But uh, you know, I'm not getting I'm not getting paid for an endorsement like buzzers. That's right. I don't. Yeah. You. Sell out. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get to the uh, big Texas Derby victory, we should talk about the big news today, which is FC Dallas dominates. And I and I, I do think this isn't going uh, hasn't been talked about enough in the hours since this has come out. The U.S. Men's National Team uh, roster has been announced, and there are. Uh, three FC Dallas players that are specifically on the squad in the call-up, but there are at least, am I counting this right, five players total on the roster that have some sort of like legitimate association with FC Dallas when you count Walker Zimmerman and Weston McKinney? I mean, that certainly makes five. I, you know, it, Is there anybody else I'm missing, I guess, is what I'm asking. Well, now that you've said that, I'm looking real quick and see if I see anybody. I mean, I, I just think that's amazing that uh, one club from Major League Soccer has generated that many specific players, and Weston obviously has, uh, you know, would lend a significant per, uh, percentage of his success to his time with the academy. And Walker was a draft pick, and you know, grew pretty well with the club here. Maybe he's the one that you throw out and go, you can't, you may not want to attach uh, too much credibility to, but that's still a big deal, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that kind of situation may only continue to get better because there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of camps this week, and I'm sure you'll probably mention them in a second, but there's guys all up and down the U.S. ladder that are uh, tons of them affiliated with FC Dallas, so it's only going to be more the case, if not not less. So we're not surprised to see Reggie, obviously. Uh, I was, uh, and we'll talk about Pax in a minute, but I was surprised, honestly, to see Jesse get another call-up and, uh, and and kind of, frankly, relieved to see him do that after he uh, essentially threw all of his Mexico ties away and uh, had yet to see the fruit of that decision. Well, certainly four keepers aren't going to make the roster finally, but I imagine that there'll be a little bit of rotation between the two games. But, yeah, it's nice to see jesse in there i mean obviously i think it goes without saying that he's probably if not the preeminent he's pretty dang close to the best shot blocker in major league soccer in terms of pure shot blocking uh and he's still very young in terms of keepering so it's like you know his deficiencies are on the mental side of the game and uh he's made a lot of progress this year his feet have gotten supremely better i mean that was a big complaint last year this year he's the best passing goalkeeper in major league soccer so he's obviously coachable he obviously is still learning and improving and he's obviously got a long way to go and he really could be a factor for the u.s over the next decade even given the fact that he's so young uh and then of course uh paxton getting called up uh delights all of us to no end and hopefully he actually gets a solid spot on the team for the games themselves will we actually see paxton get time with the senior squad in these games do you think well, I certainly hope so. Um, I think he may have been when the people like Nagby turned it down and um, and Bradley's missing, and um, uh, he was scheduled to be. Uh, I'm told with the Olympic team, uh, and then this happened instead. So, uh, you know, it's nice that he's obviously at least high enough up the radar. I mean, I thought he wouldn't get into the senior team until the January camp. So, uh, this is ahead of schedule, and it's really exciting. And uh, I don't think he'll play against Mexico. But it wouldn't shock me to see him um, on the bench or, uh, uh, you know, and get a chance in the in the second game against Uruguay. One of his, uh, sorry, one of his, one of uh, Greg Berhalter's quotes on the 
media conference call earlier kind of made it sound like you know just just the case of bring him in see how he responds around around those players similar to how he did with the uh the MLS All-Star team so you know it didn't seem like a glowing endorsement of he's going to get game time as much as you know we want to bring him in and see what he's made of yeah it is 26 players which will not be obviously what it'll be for actual games so there's lots of extra players here right now and then the U-17s were also announced today and two more uh good guys called up Pepe uh, Ricardo Pepe, the train, uh, got the uh, not unexpected call-up. But uh, Nico Carrera, which when you talk about Nico, you are really diving into the level of academy player that I'm going to guess 75% of the fan base have no idea who they are but should probably know because there's some real quality down there. Yeah, Nico's played uh, for the, Na- the U-17 uh, FC Dallas squad last year. Um, and he just recently got his U.S. citizenship, and he has been in some Mexico camps, and he has been in U.S. camps before this. He's eligible for both teams. Um, but both of those teams are are having their final camp for the World Cup, which is in October, November. So by choosing to go with the U.S. one, he's effectively choosing Mexico. I'm sorry, sorry. Mexico effectively choosing the United States going forward. Um, and obviously, he's been here for long enough to have gotten his citizenship, Um you know, he, he's one of the more talented players in that U-17 team, other than Pepe, who's already come out, of course, and, and maybe Dante Seeley, who's a totally different discussion. But, um, you know, a guy who's already made a debut for North Texas and is now moving up to the U-19s, where he'll play most of the time. But, you know, going forward, you'll see him begin to mix in with North Texas a lot, maybe over the next season. And as a guy who plays center back, which is a position that FC Dallas is not necessarily deep in uh, and has not produced a lot of out of the academy, except for Chris Richards, of course, he's not here anymore. So. And then, it's always worth noting that, um, you know, both Mexico and the U.S. were pretty desperate to get him on the teams ahead of uh, the U-17 World Cup this year. I mean, he played the Niigata tournament in Japan and won that with Mexico, got off the plane in Texas and pretty much back on it to a U.S. camp. I have to think that's really odd for these guys that have these dual national sh- uh, uh, nationalities and citizenships. It may, it's different if you're a dual national like between Germany and the United States, but to have a dual na- uh, citizenship between Mexico and the U.S. Uh, and parents who obviously probably directly immigrated from these countries, I, I can't imagine the emotional uh, confusion that must go through trying to figure out which one to play and how much of that is related to um, wanting to play for a specific country because it's the better opportunity from a business uh, career standpoint and how much of it is just my heart is tied to this thing. It's a tough decision. I mean, obviously Jesse Gonzalez went through it and uh, Ricardo Pepe is from El Paso. He had the same thing. He was eligible for both teams. You remember he was the subject of that big New York Times article, uh, gosh, like four years ago now, Pepe was. Um, and uh, Jonathan Gomez has played for both teams, uh, Mexico and the United States. I mean, the FC Dallas has got a bunch of these kids that are eligible for both ways. And I, I imagine that like the longer you live in one place or the other, maybe it pulls on you. But, you know, it also, as you say, a lot has to do with just the attention you get paid. Like one of the reasons that FC Dallas goes down to these Mexico tournaments all the time is both to scout guys they play against, but also to expose their guys to the Mexican national teams because it helps FC Dallas when their players play for Mexico. Yeah. Uh, Jesus Freya is another one of those, right? Because he's he's got dual citizenship. Colombia, yeah. Yeah, between the United States and Colombia. And I, I don't know what the likelihood that he'll ever get a Colombian call-up, but... Um, 
I, I guess again that would that one to me is different than the U.S. Mexico thing. I just think that one's uh, really fascinating. It is a little bit different, and he just got his citizenship. And so, like the, the one of the other, the other camps this week are going to be—I say this week after the FC Cincinnati game—so the U23s are going to get together, which will be, uh, I think, it'll be Brandon Cervania, Edwin Cerrillo, and Jesus Ferreira will get his first shot at a U.S. camp because uh, he's a 2001 by about a week. So he's um, not a 2001 by about a week. So he's eligible for that Olympic team, and we'll, and I think we're going to get called up next week. Now, do you think that there's anything to the idea that Paxton uh, is not? Getting- getting included in the 23 for the Olympic team and, and in the senior team? And like, is there some message between those two things that we may want to pay attention to? No, I don't think so. Uh, generally speaking, they they definitely prefer um, the senior team over the Olympic team. You remember the last Olympic camp, Joff Sargent got left out, excuse me, left out because he was going to go to the national team with a gold cup. And then he didn't. But, you know, the idea was there was a preference for the national team. So, I mean, I, I've been told that Paxton was going to be in this 23 camp coming up until Bearhart says, no, no, I'm taking him. So uh, I don't think you should read a lot into it. And I actually could expect that Pomacall and Reggie, too, Reggie Cannon's eligible for the 23s. I think they'll both probably at some point get involved with the 23s, depending on when the national team, senior team is playing. I'm super excited to see how the 23s uh, work out and how uh, significant of a roster the Federation puts together to try to get back into the Olympics for the first time in what seems like forever. Um, and if they end up putting a, a very serious uh, professional squad together, um, I guess time will tell and we'll find that out. Before we move on off of the call-ups, uh, Jonathan Tompkinson, who used to play for Solar, and actually is with Norwich City now, a uh, local kid from here. He's also on the um, U-17 team. So, you know, not an FC Dallas kid, but still great to see a local kid making that kind of progress. And how does a kid from Solar end up at Norwich? Presumably somebody scouted him. I mean, you know, there's lots of scouts that work in the United States for uh, your English teams. I mean, there's some guys that work for just four teams and some guys that work independently and try and sell to anybody they can. You know, so, I mean, he's, he played for SC Dallas before he played for Solar, so it's not like he was necessarily all completely off the radar for people. But, you know, he's good enough to get into a national team, so he must be pretty good. Dan, are you actively uh, scouting for Luton, uh, young Americans, to send over there to try to help bolster the squad? I mean, not that they know of. <laughs> Either or not. They haven't responded to any of your YouTube videos you've sent them or anything like that. So many tweets. <laughs> if you could take one player out of the FC Dallas structure and have them play for Luton, who would it be? Hmm. Uh, um, I mean... I- wouldn't mind seeing Paxton Pomacal. Okay, all right. I didn't know if you'd go for a center midfielder or not. I mean, he can do a bit of everything, which is kind of, you know. And Luton do typically play a diamond, and he can sit at the top of the diamond and kind of dictate things. That's He can. All right, well, uh, now that we know who uh, Dan is actively trying to steal for his Luton town, we will move on to the celebratory. It's a victory pod this week as FC Dallas wins the Texas Derby, retains Yay. El Capitan, uh, and crushes the orange, as they say, 5-1. to one. Now, that's not a result I was anticipating over Houston, uh, but it's always fun to beat the guys from the south, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a derby game. You know, why would it? Even Cobra knew it was a big game. Oh, yeah, whoops. 
No, I'm sure you can. <laughs> I guess we I can, think this we, week, we yeah. can we can lift uh, we can lift the um, uh, embargo on Cobra if you want. If if everybody on yeah. the pod agrees, he can score a couple goals or three in a couple of games. And if you guys want to call him Cobra, then albeit I'll put the lid back on the uh, penalty jar. Okay, well, I think if you score big uh, announcement, yeah, if you score two goals, I think you get to be Cobra at least for a week. All right. Jesus nearly got to be Cobra too. That would have been really confusing. Oh, you know what? I'm going to talk about that in particular here in a few minutes. Um, okay, so let's just get it out in the blue, uh, out into the uh, wide open for the discussion. Let's talk about Andrezic, his performance, your reactions. Is he now the official number nine for the future of this team, or what do you think? Well, I think that... Um based on the fact that he did what strikers are supposed to do, which is score. And based on the fact that he uh, has a good, positive, aggressive mentality, a winning mentality, a fighting mentality that FC Dallas actually really needs. I think those things, when you combine with the fact that Baji played probably the best game he's ever played for FC Dallas as a left wing um, and looks better as a wing than he does as a nine. When you combine those two things together, I think that for now, he's the answer. I don't know that he's the long-term answer, but I know these the best thing they have right now, particularly when you also combine how good Jesus Ferreira played in midfield. So those three things together, I think this is what you're going to see for the immediate future. And, and and how good Cobra does, and how many goals he knocks in, was going to have to do a lot, have to say a lot about whether FC Dallas makes the playoffs or not. Because let's be clear, it's like the rest of his game is still not fantastic. He did make a really nice pass to Ferreira in midfield, but. Uh, you know, most of his passes are negative and he often loses the ball. His touch is heavy. He's not particularly fast, you know, so there are a lot of qualities in his game. You don't love, he's not great at Lucci ball by any means, but his, his press has gotten better. His timing in terms of the team concept has gotten better, which Lucy directly said was why he's gotten playing time of late. And the bottom line is he's produced and scored. Now he should have had a hat trick. He blew the third one, which is, you know, that's what he does in training. That's he blows goals like that sometimes, but Finishes better than Coleman does, so uh, you know what else are we going to see going forward than than him? He's the answer. Um, yeah, he's he's not a brilliant footballer by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but you go with the hot hand, right? You go with the guy that's scoring, and he's he's got three in his last two games. How long that lasts, we we wait and see. Is it a sustainable thing? Do defenders get smart to? Uh, to the way he's getting into the box, which, you know, Baji and Jesus ne- weren't necessarily doing. Yeah, time tells. The the one aspect about his inclusion in the team is, and, and I don't know if this is something that is a, uh, forced by the way that he plays the position or it's a tactical change that Lucci has just kind of thrown his hands up in the air, but I mentioned this last week and I said it on the radio show, it appears to me that Dallas suddenly is playing more direct than they used to. Um, and and obviously, unlike some of the other guys, Andrezic is good at least making runs into the box, which is something Coleman used to do. Coleman just couldn't finish a sandwich if he wanted to. And at least in the last few, last couple of games, uh, Andrezic has finished a couple of opportunities. Um, and and I don't know if you guys have noticed this. Is this a, just a, a, an illusion on my part, or is Dallas playing kind of a more direct, less Lucci ball style of soccer lately? Well, what they've specifically been working on um, is the final third, uh, specifically getting extra players in there. So it creates a vertical uh, component to the game of what Lucci Ball was before. Instead of just passing around the midfield and waiting, now it's passed around the midfield and then get forward into the box. 
whether it be Cobra or whether it be Cannon or Ryan Hollingshead of late has been going crazy down the left side. He had a phenomenal game against Houston. Um, you know, uh, Jesus Ferreira did it in the middle when Paxton was out. He's filled it in and done nicely. Even Cervania did it when he rescued the game two weeks ago when he came in and scored two goals. So um, it's those runs into the box that are adding that vertical component to the game that wasn't there before. And really, it's been since Montreal that they've been doing that. And that's the difference between three out of the last four games, they've scored three goals. And those games that they're doing it, it's because of that, because of those extra guys, because of the vertical component you're talking about. You know, you look at the chances, there were a lot more, you know, counter-attacking chances than there have been lately, um, you know, especially with uh, Ryan and, well, not so much Reggie, more Ryan bombing down the wing, um, allowing Barrios to be more involved, allowing, uh, you know, Baji to run inside. It's, yeah. Fortunately, I don't have a whole lot to add to it. <laughs> Well, there was a particular tactical tweak that Lucci had told me about a week ago um, that they were going to use uh, Baji a little. They were going to cheat him inside more towards uh, Andresic and and give Barrios the, the, the wings in the sense that Barrios would have the freedom to switch sides a lot. And the idea was that whatever side Barrios was opposite, that outside back would overcompensate and overload the zone. And since Barrios spent most of his time on the right, you saw Hollingshead do that with great effect and really get forward and really make an impact. Cannon didn't do it as much, but um, again, that's that's some of that verticality and those extra players we're talking about are coming from the outside backs. Uh, and, and as Baji cheats in and opens the space on whichever wing he's going to be on uh, when they play, that's actually a really interesting tweak to a normal four-three-three that is exciting to watch happen. They were pretty heavy left-sided, um, you know, in terms of just the way that. The, the direction play came down, but I guess, yeah, you kind of come in down the left and, and switch into the right and, and bring in Barrios there while Baji gets inside. I know the the position, average position diagrams sort of, that they get, did display something like that where, you know, where Barrios was on the outside, Baji came inside, you know, to effectively make it more like a, a you know, a two striker system with the ball on the right wing. Yeah. One of the things that really surprised me in the reaction to the game on social media and within the fan base was all of the glee driven by uh, the two goals scored by Andrezic for whatever reason, uh, ironic or serious or uh, whatever. I I really was uh, surprised and a little bit disappointed in the lack of reaction to the amazingly positive performances out of Jesus Ferreira and Brandon Cervania, who I thought both had... A-plus games the entire night. Um, and in my book, and we'll talk about this in a second, I thought uh, Jesus should have had at least should have had the second goal counted. Um, am I wrong, guys? Or uh, were those two really top-flight performances at a center mid? Well, Jesus Ferrer was my man of the match. I thought he was spectacular. In particular, he added the element um, that we had wanted him to add, which was the ability to turn. And go and not at just defenders. Pass. Yeah, to go, to hit that gap between the center backs. You know, to, there were three times where he exploded right up the middle of the gap. One of them resulted in a goal. Uh, you know, that added component to his game is so delicious, and it's it's what he's been missing, and that's a huge step forward for him. And then Brandon Cervania played as a uh, an, a traditional eight. Lucci specifically said it was a six eight ten setup, like the old school four three three setup. 
uh, and Brandon was terrific box to box and filled in underneath. And, and I liked his shot choices that were right at the circle better than Acosta's, which were still like 35 yards out, which is too far. Um, I don't mind Cervania's top of the circle chances because he's nailed some of those, including one in the Open Cup. So um, Brandon Cervania, the last couple of weeks and in training has looked spectacular. He's added an aggressiveness uh, like a instead of just playing in the game, he's now sort of attacking the game. If you know what I'm saying, it's yeah. hard to articulate exactly what it means, but um, he looks really good lately. And, and I'm, I'm not disparaging Paxton by any means, but to have two guys now that can play in there just as well as Paxton does is such a luxury for a coach, particularly when Paxton's still being bothered by his hamstrings a little bit. It's uh, it was a tremendous performance in the midfield all the way across the board. And where do you where do you think Paxton fits in this? Does does that? I mean, if Jesus is legitimately good at that position, do you put you don't put Paxton out on the left, do you? You put Pax back in that position to move Jesus out to the left, or what does he do with all of this incredible mix of talent? Yeah, that's a good question. I actually coming into this year uh, when I thought Arangis was going to be more involved, I expected. Ah! Sorry, yeah, I expected Paxton to be the left wing on this team, um, and then Arangis flames out, and Paxton becomes the ten, and all that stuff. Um, you know, I it's a luxury that's really good to have. I, you know, I think in the course of this season, any of the two of those three guys will probably play any given game, in the long run. It may be a case where Ferreira has to go to the, the wing and maybe a case where one of them of those three gets sold, to be honest with you. Um, you know, if, if they were to get another legitimate six, then Brian Acosta and Brandon Serena are going head to head for that eight spot. So um, at some point you want to have multiple guys challenging for any good position and you want to have this richness of players so that if a guy is a slightly off form or is a tiny bit nicked up, you can sit him. So, you know, I mean, like, for example, I don't think Paxton should play against Cincinnati either. He's going to the national team camp and wants to be in his very best form. Why run him out when he's been a little tired? He's been a little bothered by the hamstrings and, and Cervania and Ferreira played great. Leave him in there. Let Paxton sit out one more game and then go to camp. Yeah, I did think that the one of the amazing side stories that didn't get paid a lot of attention to out of the Houston result was is that the bulk of the good of that game came when Paxton wasn't on the field for Dallas. Yeah, I mean, let's not talk bad about Paxton too much, but um, no, it's, 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 a, I, it's a beautiful thing that you don't need him, you know, that you're getting strong performances without yeah. him. Yeah, yeah I, that's fantastic. That, that, I mean it that way. I'm not saying that yeah. that's questioning Paxton's... Yeah, uh, my bad. Yeah. No, no, not, nobody's yeah, bad. Yeah. I just, I think, I, but I appreciate your wanting to uh, clarify that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, can I be that guy for a second, though? Sure. Dan, is it okay? Can I do I have your permission to be that guy? <sighs> Fine. Do we need to put an asterisk in any of this, uh, that all of this came, the, the two goals by Andrezic, the five goals overall, came against one of the worst performances from a Dynamo team I have seen in some time. It's like they had, they had a grip and control in the game for about 20, about 15 minutes. They had all the opportunities. They were really pushing Dallas hard. Dallas gets the penalty kick, and then a few minutes later, the Ferreira goal, and when it went 2 nothing, it's almost as if they just completely gave up on the rest of the game, and, and I just can't help but wonder how much of this is colored by the fact that they just Dallas won a big result against a team that really wasn't trying very hard. Yeah, it's for sure part of it. We should be level-headed about highs as well as lows as we analyze everything i mean what's houston won like one in 12 or something uh they're they're reeling and falling apart it's a rivalry game and it's you know it for sure should be tempered with, with a little bit of 
uh, awareness of how bad Houston was. Think about how good they were last time they played Dallas, when, uh, you know, four months ago versus now. It's a completely different team. So, um, you know, we, we, we want to look at what Dallas did and, and the strides they made and the progress that they made and think, okay, those, that all looks good. They're moving in the right direction. You know, just don't go thinking it's an MLS Cup team yet. We know it's not. You know, this is not the year. This is a year where you're going you're gonna to be happy if you make the playoffs. That'll be successful. And, Dan, you can call me a big jerk, but I will point out that the two goals Andrezic scored came from some of the worst center back play I've seen in quite some time. Come on, you got to agree with me on that. See, I'm, I'm going to contest that because the worst center back play you've ever seen was actually the Michael Barrios goal. Oh, fair. Good point. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he, he did what you want a striker to do, what we – what we uh, enjoyed seeing Blas Perez do, what we really wished that uh, Maxi Aruti would do before he got his weird nosebleed about getting past, getting into the final third. He got in the box and connected with the ball, and, you know, just particularly the second one, the slightest little deflection, but just did enough with it. That's what I find really interesting, and this will help us seg into uh, the game this weekend, is you can kind of see a scenario building up where Dallas goes into uh, a, you know the the tie out of Montreal Andrezic scores a goal to help uh, come back from a 3-0 deficit uh, they crush Houston and he scores two goals now they're going to play the worst team in the league in Cincinnati and you know for all we know he'll throw out a snake-like hat trick on Saturday um, and everybody's going to be feeling super high and mighty about this team and specifically about him. And then they're going to get into the meat of the rest of their season or maybe even to the playoffs. And then maybe he won't perform as well. And I I just want to make sure everybody tempers everything until we actually see this team and specifically him against a legitimate uh, pair of center backs. Yeah. I don't think uh, if you're realistically analyzing his game that you, you, you still, he's still missing uh, the burst to separate. He still can't really play over the top. You know, the thing you got to give him 100% credit for is that compare him to the runs Baji makes, where Baji kind of gives up on runs when he's not going to, when the, the defender's between him and the ball, whereas Cobra fights through it and gets a toe to it. And those are the goals he scores. Those are the ones he gets in training. It's the one we've seen in scrimmages before. He puts in the final effort, the final will, the final fight to get to the ball. And so yeah. there's a credit for that. But when you run up against, it's the same thing when the, the U.S. goes through qualifying in, in, in CONCACAF and they can beat anybody, well, most times. Uh, and then you go to the World Cup and they get stomped because it's a different level. And eventually, Yossi Dallas is going to run into somebody like LAFC in the first round of the playoffs. And it isn't going to happen. It's going to be completely different. And those will be some big tests. And that will be a big part of how we review on Jurassic in terms of is he going to come back for future seasons is what can he manage to do this when it really counts and when it gets to teams that are really good because that's the goal right is to win the MLS Cup not finish in the middle of the table so that's a big part of it yeah and I want to make sure everybody understands I'm not uh bringing up negative points just to drag the guy uh just to drag the guy I I I, I want to be very clear I really enjoy his enthusiasm his teammate uh the fact that his teammates clearly like him I like his energy I like the fact that he fights and tries hard I love all about that and and if I express a frustration with Andrezic it's the same frustration I have with Jossie and some other guys which is it's more about uh this club's inability to scout and, and or or spend on a legitimate uh, outside players uh, for these positions. Like I feel like the club and the fan base 
deserves a better, higher quality um, uh, player than what they've been given so far. But I don't want to fault his effort uh, and uh, kind of his likable personality and all that stuff. And and if he goes on to score a thousand goals and be the best striker in FC Dallas history, that'll be fantastic. I just still don't think he'll turn out to be even close to that. But uh, he did score those two goals. He scored the week before, and maybe he'll score a bunch more before the end of the season. I'm just not going to put money on it. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Sure? I, I, yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way as you do. I, you know, I, I like how infectious he is. And, and I, and this is one place I give Lucci a lot of credit, uh, because Lucci's an educator before he was a coach. So he, um, he gives everybody the opportunities to keep working and keep, um, you know, striving and keep progressing. And, and I would have probably given up on Andresic a long time ago as a coach and he didn't. And the, the, the guy kept working and the guy took instructions and he finally started doing what they were asking him to do. And it's what got him on the field. So uh, credit to the coaching staff for turning him around. But I agree with you, too, that, you know, the current administration of this club, we are suspect at best in terms of the ability to find talent and bring it in here because so far their misses have not been have been pretty ugly. And even the ones that are hits are just kind of middle of the pack in terms of Brian Acosta or Brisson. You just really, uh, really poured a big old glass of water all over that. Um, (laughs) Every time... Uh, I keep thinking of uh, guys. He was so bad. I've forgotten his name. Uh, Roland Lamar. Um, you know how he had a knack of scoring in twos against really bad teams. Um, you know Montreal are not a good team. They got out a really good lead, uh, which and then you know showed just how good they are by letting uh, letting Dallas back into it. Houston were awful. Cincinnati. They're terrible. Um, you know, there's obviously it, it'd be great to see uh, to see Cobra bag a hat trick, bag however many goals he wants. Um, but you know, like like Buzz mentioned earlier, you know, when it gets to that to you know, if Dallas does make the playoffs and run into an LAFC or you know someone with a half decent defense, kind of where that comes down to. Uh, and then there's also the the idea of, you know, is he 90 minutes ready? Um, obviously, he didn't complete the 90 then. Uh, his longest stretch before that was 60 minutes. Um, you know, he kind of seems like, almost like Max Aruti was uh, at Portland, where he'd come in for the last 20 minutes of the game, he'd get in the box, he'd get on the end of a corner or uh, or a low cross or something. That may turn out to be his best use, and uh, you know if that's a role that he could even make his own, that that'd be great. It's just um, you know now he's kind of like got to the point where he's challenging for for a place in the team. He he has to find his place in the team, whether that's the start or not. Yeah, he's obviously at this uh, point of the season the best option they have, especially as Lucci's been given the availability of moving other parts around. Um. But I, I do worry that his proclivity of turning the ball over in really bad spots and making some just really you know, like unforced errors uh, against a way better team are going to come back to, to, to hunt him and his teammates uh, as they get into the harder teams running through the season. So, um, But you know what? He's earned it. We can now, at least for the time being, return to calling him the Cobra. Right? 
Yes. <laughs> I think he needs has to start, actually. I, I don't know. Oh, I I'm agree. Not gonna, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, what I mean is like, I think that he's only effective when he can bang on you for like 60, 70 minutes. You know, it's like he's not going to score in the first 20. Filthy. He's going to scare naughtiest. See, but you, you know what I mean? It's like you, he's got to grind. On a second. Yeah, but okay. You keep saying bang on you. I don't consider, like I've watched him play. I don't think he's all that physical of a player. Well, I, th- I think I don't maybe bang on it's not the right word. I mean, sort of his tenaciousness, his sort of relentlessness, that kind of like, oh, my God, will you stop? You know what I mean? Whether whatever it is, it's just like, you know, you could I, I think that he can't come in and within like 10 or 15 minutes bag a goal. I just don't think he works that way. I think he needs, you know, a whole half, you know, into the second half before he's going to make, uh, you know, wear a guy out, whether it's physically or whether it's mentally and yeah. get that goal. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly not uh, unrelenting like Arudi was. I mean, Arudi would run around like a chicken with his head, uh, head cut off all day long. And even Blas Perez was somewhat like that. And I don't see Andrezic as, uh, you know, never ending like that. And I don't see him clobbering defenders or, you know, playing in a particularly, you know, Carlos Ruiz type game, if that makes sense. I can't really explain who he reminds me of, to be honest with you. Well, I think it's more, it's not the endless running, like a routine all over the field, as much as it is um, just never taking a moment off. You know, like it's just, I mean, a great center back will be able to deal with that. But when, you know, when you go and go against an average center back, it's like they're going to switch off for a moment. And that's kind of when he's going to get you. And that happens like the deeper you get into the game, the hotter it is, the more you're weird, you're, you're, you're fading mentally. And all of a sudden he's on you and he's got one past you because he has that little bit of something extra to stick that foot out and make that run and get to that ball that you didn't get to. And I, I think he can't do that in 10 minutes. I think he needs the whole game to do that. Well, he certainly, those, that's a great, uh, uh, explanation of both of those goals that he scored because the first one uh i think it's beasley and um figueroa just completely pull him up pull apart from each other and leave him standing there by himself and he's smart enough to recognize that and on the second one he recognizes figueroa isn't isn't marking him properly and is in front of him instead of behind him instead of goal side and he capitalizes on that too so again credit to andrezic for smartly playing those two situations I do wish he had finished the cross from Pax, though, because that was oh, the easiest yeah. of the three. Yeah. I had, I had my uh, my Cobra hat trick Hydra GIF all queued up, ready to go, and he missed it. You mean your Hydra GIF? GIF, GIF, whatever. <laughs> I always say Hold GIF. On. I'm not a GIFer. I'm a GIFer. Okay. Hold on. We're, we're talking about the wrong pronunciation here, because the only pronunciation that matters is Darby. I said Darby. I know. Buzz didn't. Oh, it's a derby. We're in the United States. Uh, <laughs> Did I say derby? Oh well. Yeah. I'm with good. I'm with Dan. It's you're, it's got a D in it. It's a it it may be spelled the same, but it's the actual term as applied is why it's yeah. No, I know it's derby. When I read it, it's hard for my brain to say derby. Oh, uh, for some reason I. I'm, I stink at it's, that. It's so. a learning disability. I get it. Yeah. I well, <laughs> the, the word is written derby. So I say Derby. Yeah, well. <laughs> I know I know it's Derby, just like I know it's a brace is two goals, just like I know a pitch is a field. I would get all that but, stuff. I Buzz, just, I'm totally... There's I'm, only one S in offside. Yeah, That's offside, right. I'm with you on that one. Yes. I am the captain and uh, principal leader of the company of people who can't pronounce foreign last names, so yeah. um, I totally get it. You and me both. 
I totally get it. All right, so that does lead us up to the another, uh, you know, must win. You got to get the six points out of these two games. Even Mark Followell uh, admitted that last week. Cincinnati FC, or is it FC Cincinnati? What did they go FC with? FC Cincinnati, yeah. FC Cincinnati, um, Football Club Cincinnati, with our favorite, greatest story in FC Dallas history, Victor Uoa comes to town, and their really crappy record. Um, are they yeah. statistically, has anybody looked to see if maybe statistically they are the worst um, expansion team in, in, in uh, league history? Are they worse than Minnesota's first year? Oh, I have no idea, but it's got to be up there. I mean, we even talked about in the preseason that uh, they were going to fight to be one of the worst teams of all time. And that was after they won their first game, like 5 nothing or whatever. <laughs> Remember that day when yeah. they were, they, they were uh, came out of the gates, they were like, going to be the best team ever. Oh, we were all like, nope, no, you're not. No. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. They've won yeah. f- uh, five of their 27 games. They have a goal. <laughs> oh, my God. I hadn't seen this. <laughs> oh, holy cow. This has got to be the worst. <coughs> Excuse me. I <laughs> I almost choked. I'm looking here at these numbers. Their goal differential is negative 37. They have given up 64 goals this year in 27 wow. games. Holy cow. So they're as bad as LAFC is good. Uh, you know what? You're yeah. right. Yes, essentially. Yeah. LAFC is plus 46 goal differential. Yeah. <laughs> they're minus 37. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. So they've won the wooden spoon already then. Yeah. So well, uh, that's the thing about this game then. This is a game. If you think you're a playoff team, this game is a win, period. If you lose this game, you're done. There's no way you're well, getting in if you lose this. Ben Paxton made a point to me in the week in that, you know, it's maximum points at home or just forget about playoffs. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. So I'm sitting here looking. Their last wins were back-to-back wins at the beginning of July, uh, a 3-2 win over Houston at home and a win over Chicago in Chicago, a 2-1 win. Since then, they've lost in their last uh, seven games. They've lost six of the seven, and the other one was a 2-2 draw at Columbus three games ago. And they're coming off a 3-1 loss at home to Columbus uh, last Sunday, so boy, this one's ripe for the pickings. Um, Buzz, you alluded to it earlier about Paxton not starting again. Do you think it's likely he sits again, and we just see the same eleven since uh, Lucci seems to be the hey, let's keep going with what's working. Yeah, there's a big school of thought, and many coaches feel this way. You know, when you win five to one, it's like everyone that won that game deserves to keep playing. I mean, Oscar was for sure that way, and so far it seems like Lucci's that way too. Um, and, and mainly in Paxton's case is like, as I said, he's got a, a U.S. national team camp coming up for the first time ever. And you want him to be as healthy as possible for that, for his own good. Um, so I think you have plenty of talent based on the game you just witnessed to beat FC Cincinnati uh, without Paxton. So I think there's and especially when he's got that little tightness in his hamstrings has been bugging him. And he's obviously we all thought he looked a little tired the last couple of games. Now, I will say. Last week in training, he looked fantastic. So, I mean, if you want to play him, that's fine. But um, I'm 100% behind the idea that you not play him and that you just go in with the exact same 11 that you just played against Houston, against FC Cincinnati. Those guys all earned a chance to go again, I think. I mean, of course, when he did look uh, fantastic in training, he had come off uh, three days rest uh, without yeah. having that extra day off. But, yeah, he definitely did. Um, you know, we know Lucci is uh, very happy to... Uh, 
to to arrange things with the national team coaches uh, in the same way that you know they wanted to work with the the under twenties with Paxton and and ensure that he was fresh for the uh, for the U twenty World Cup or Concacaf whatever it was. Um, yeah, I mean, why why change a good thing? It's I mean, if you were going up against LAFC, yeah, you put your best eleven out, but. Um, you know, you want your hungriest team, and your hungriest team are the team that 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 need to prove something. The guys that aren't getting the minutes. Yeah, I would actually go so far as to say rest Reggie Cannon too. I was like, why not give uh, Brian Reynolds a game on Saturday and give Cannon a game off before he goes to the World Cup? Yeah, Cannon's but, looked a little tired to me too. But don't you need Cup. to win this game? And and Reynolds just put in uh, ninety minutes yeah. for North Texas yesterday. I, it, I, I get your point about resting, but man, you got to kill the baby seal. You got to club yeah. the baby seal that is FC Cincinnati and grab the pelt. Well, we just talked about how bad they are. The I mean, you could always put Bris- you could put Brisson out there instead of Brian Reynolds if you don't like Brian Reynolds. Uh, you know, I just I don't hate the idea of giving Reggie a game off too. Yeah, you know, I, I think Cincinnati is really bad. Um, you know, I certainly, if you want to play Reggie, I'm fine with that too. I just think you know it's it's worth discussion of the idea that you give him one as well. Um, and I do want to go back because I uh, promised we would discuss this because I've got a thousand. Uh, I've been thinking a bunch about this and a thousand thoughts on it, which is the second Jesus Ferreira goal that was disallowed after VAR reviewed it. Hmm. And and the reason why this is frustrating me so much is not only do I believe in this specific incident was it totally unnecessary. But I'm also uh, uh, mushing this with my newer frustrations going on with how the Premier League has been instituting VAR, which if you compare that scenario to, let's say, uh, the non-penalty given against uh, for Harry Kane in the Spurs game uh, this past weekend, And the way that VAR is implemented in both those instances is the polar opposite, and neither one of them feel right. And I don't know if you guys know the two things that I'm talking about or why I'm talking about them in this way, but I I just, I I don't get it, man. I don't know where we're, what we're doing, or why we're doing this. It just seems to be an utter waste of time. Yeah, the the Ferreira goal that was called back uh, at the time, I was, I said. Uh, from the stands, I have no idea why that goal was called back, and then that got echoed even by people on the broadcast. Like, uh, they oh, were yeah. like we had no idea either. Daniel you know, Slayton and, and Mark Followell had no yeah. idea. If you watch the game, they are completely clueless as to why uh, play is stopped and VAR is being used. And that's a whole other subject, right? Which is the communication yeah. problem. Yeah, there needs to be some level of what it was called back for, which in this case, it turns out, was Pepe was in the old check back offside position. He was in offside position. He came back. Now, I would have said, in the old days, I would have said he was not interfering with the play. So, uh, But he was deemed to have. And then, obviously, there's a big question, too, of, like, is this a clear and obvious error? I don't know that it was clear and obvious either. So, I, you know, the implementation of VAR, I don't I – don't, uh, like it you know i think we're stuck with it unfortunately so let's try and make it better but um you know I, I, by the letter of the law once they explained it i watched the piece of clip and i was like okay yeah sure but, he but, checks back but, okay no wait a second by the letter yeah. of the law as my understanding that he is not he's not involved in the play the ball's not going to him um 
I thought I, I thought maybe they had called him for a foul on the center back, like maybe he had impeded the center back. But when they said he was offside, yeah, the ball's never even he's not he doesn't even try to play the ball. Yeah, the I think the idea is, and I and I'm believe me, I'm not a ref anymore, so I used to be, but I'm not anymore. But um, I think what what I've been told on an occasion or two is that if he's in there and influences the positioning of any player, or if he's close enough where the goalie can see him, then the goalie has to think about him. I mean, look, I think it's a stretch, but you know, there's some arguments to be made that, that because he's there, the center back has to mark him. That affects the play. I don't, you know, see. My understanding, it, my understanding is is that that doesn't work that way anymore. It used to be that way that if a player somehow was creating a center back to have to pick his poison, then that's why you would call offside. But it doesn't. To me, these days they don't call offside for that anymore because if the player is that's the whole involved in the play piece, right. and that's why I was so confused by their decision to call him offside because he's clearly not involved in that moment. He may be offside, but Paxton is passing the ball laterally across the box, and there and Pepe's not involved in that at all. Well, Pepe does move towards where that pass is going. He does come the, back towards that pass. I'm not saying he's. I mean, I agree with you. I don't think he influenced the play. I'm just trying to figure out why they called it. The biggest know? thing is the the influence on the play, and and it's kind of the dumbest part is the defender tries to make a play on the ball. If the defender stands completely still and Pepe's still in offside position, they don't call it back. I mean, it it comes down to the the defender's judgment. It seems a little bit, you know. Yeah, I, and then when you juxtapose that with this this new thing in the Premier League where they seem to be using VAR as some sort of, <laughs> I don't know, uh, it's so weird because a referee makes a decision on the field and they can go back and look at it and everybody watches it and goes, oh yeah, he totally missed it, he called it wrong, yet if the referee explains to the VAR official why he called it that way and the VAR official looks at it and goes, well, okay, I can see where you're coming from, they decide not to overrule it, then it's like, then what's the point of all of this? Like, that doesn't make any sense either. So at least that does go into a clear and obvious error. Yeah, but, uh, but I guess my question is, if you think of the two or three incidents that happened in the Premier League this weekend, in my mind, I could say you he did make it clear and obvious error. There was clearly contact that you didn't see or failed to recognize. There was a hand over the shoulder. There was a foot on, you know, a, a kick on a shin or whatever it was. Those to me are what qualifies as clear and obvious error if the rule states contact in a box creates a foul. So I, I don't know. Well, clearly that's a dive by Harry Kane and Newcastle United rules. <laughs> I forgot you're not the right person to be having this conversation with. It just uh, it kind of reminds the, the the idea of the way the Premier League are doing it. It kind of reminds me of the what uh, the gripe I had with the Women's World Cup. We had that um, England USA game, and uh, Ellen White gets fouled, wins a penalty, and they had 50 different camera angles, and on only one of them which was not anything close to the referee's viewpoint, did you see anything that resembled a foul? Now, if the referee can't see that because they don't have 50 eyes dotted around the stadium, that's not a clear and obvious error on that on their part. That's just human nature. That shouldn't be considered a clear and obvious error and then suddenly overruled. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. What I, what I can't quite figure out is why we all as a sport seem so committed to... I, I, I don't know. It's this idea that in my head of if this is the sport's one 
most rare and valuable asset. It's scoring goals. And we've all, for some reason, because uh, uh, out of this effort to be uh, black and white, binary, right, wrong, we've chosen to suddenly melt down a bunch of them and throw them away because we have, uh, through the miracle of technology, spotted the ever so slightest flaw. And whether that be a decision about offside or something to do with contact in a box, and it and I and I really worry that as we keep going on with this, it's just going to make the game less and less entertaining. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I, the one that drives me crazy is the, the offsides where they're like looking at his finger sticking out past. I'm like, dude, it's his chest. Even with the other guy's chest, that's what I care about. Where's his body at? I don't care about a little finger or a little toe. You know, it's like golly. I, I do think that that they'll they'll improve the rules. Uh, because everybody says, well, then you're, yeah. what you're upset about is the rule, not the technology. And my point is, well, it, it's only because of the technology that you're debating the rule, right? Like, <laughs> you, yeah. if we didn't have the technology, we'd be back to where we were. The rule is what it is. But because you didn't see it in that nanosecond, um, uh, you, we wouldn't be talking about this. So VAR is just as much to blame as, as the, poorly, uh, the poor way the rule is written. Um, but I do find that the implementations of VAR as a concept is so different in MLS than it is from the Premier League uh, and how both of those leagues are treating its implementation. The Premier League seems to be working so hard to defend uh, the honor of the referee, the center referee, and the historic print, you know, position of that role. And Major League Soccer seems to be doing something almost infinitely opposite of that. Uh, and it drives me nuts. My biggest complaint, I think, would be based on something that I picked up from the NBA and that MLS, all the VAR people are on site, whereas the Premier League, if I understand it correctly, you're all doing it from a central location, yes. which is what the NBA does. So the NBA has these pe people that are specifically trained. They have high-level officiating consultants right there ready to go watching. You know, It's not just whoever's available locally. So, I, I, of course, that's a big money question. So, I mean, that's a lot of spend for MLS to do set up an operation like that. So I'd like to see MLS could be better. I'd like to see a central location like they have in the NBA and like they have in the EPL. That would be, that would be a good change, I think. I mean, you know, we've also got this issue, you know, what, um, you know, why is VAR kind of been forced in some, in some sense, uh, you know, when every different country implements it a different way and then international tournaments differ entirely from those. And you've got every major sport, I mean, globally major, major in the US, whatever, a bar golf, I guess, uses some form of technology. I mean, in cricket, they use uh, really high quality microphones to detect whether a ball actually hit the bat before hitting something. They have, uh, you know, cameras that and, and computers that predict the flight of the ball and, and the spin and you know whether it's going to go and hit a target or not same in tennis you've got video review in uh in every other you know in all the american sports uh, in rugby you know and in most of the cases these lead to you know disallowed scoring opportunities getting allowed on review whereas soccer it was kind of like oh crap they're doing it we need to do it too and it's just it hasn't worked that way it hasn't led to more penalty kicks it hasn't led to more attacking opportunities it's just led to you know oh that goal was getting ruled out for something that happened 45 minutes ago or 45 seconds ago rather it's... yeah i do I, I i do have the sense that it's doing more 
uh, here, let me put it this way. For all the things that we thought VAR would do, which is correct the clear errors, like the, oh my God, he totally either missed it or got it wrong, he or she, um, and instead what we're getting is vastly more of these weird little moments that are so fractional and microscopic uh, that that is what's changing the game, whether it allows for a goal or discipline. And more times than not, what it's doing is it's taking away beautiful goals that nobody on the field, nobody in the stands, nobody watching on TV had any inkling that there was something wrong with it, right? And then suddenly, 30 seconds later, you're like, finger to the ear, making shapes in the air, and now suddenly we've decided that goal wasn't good anymore for whatever minute reason. And and to me, that doesn't make the game better. Jesus Ferreira's goal, which was a beautiful, uh, a wonderfully taken goal and wonderfully structured by the team. It's a great moment of team play between four or five FC Dallas players is wiped off the face of the earth over the most minute interpretation of the offside rule that made no sense and nobody on Houston and on, on the on Houston side of the field was complaining about. It was completely stupid to call that goal off. Even uh, even Barrios's goal, you know, he appeals for the handball. Ref plays on. Uh, well, didn't didn't decide one way or the other. Barrios puts it away, and the first thing he does is turn around and look at the referee. Looks to see if the if Vaz in his ear. Yeah, it's you know it's taken that that moment out of the game. Well, it is the new normal. That's for sure. I just think yeah. they could do it better. For they, sure, they can do it a lot better. It could be a fantastic thing if if they just figure it out and also, you know, figure out one implementation. Yeah, of, you know. Well, the so communi- I, the communication part to me is the one that seems the easiest to fix, and for whatever reason, they've refused to do it. But um, all right, we I've uh, I've prattled on enough about VAR and drove <laughs> everybody nuts because I know there's a not an insignificant percentage of people that hate the VAR debate. Um, all right, before we uh, wrap this up, do we have any will or desire to talk about the in-the-stands incidents uh, that led to the press releases uh, from club and supporters groups from the Texas Derby? Obviously. Well, uh, I have one thing to say about it, and then I'll let Dan get in because Dan knows a lot more about it than I do. My only thing I would say about it is that uh, is in the sense of going forward, FC Dallas and and whoever else, and I believe there's some Houston involvement too with their staff, that uh, they collectively need to do a better job of making sure people can stay in the stadium until the completion of the game. Now, whatever that takes, I don't know. I'm not in that side of the business, but that's my only take because I don't know enough about the circumstances. Dan has all the info. I just feel like no one should be asked to leave the game early. The league needs to figure out how to make it happen where people can stay till the game is over. Short of when you're being arrested, of course, that's different. Yeah, and Dan, before you start, let me just say, I don't if if you're listening to the pod and you haven't seen this yet, a video showed up, I guess Monday morning from some Houston fans uh, of them being confronted by Frisco police and stadium security escorting those in the Houston supporters group area out of the stadium while the game was still going on, which is something I've, I've never seen before because historically fans are kind of corralled into an area and held in the stadium for an extended period of time after the game. Uh, so they can get a safer exit because the assumption is all the home fans have already left. Right. I mean, in all the, 
150-odd away grounds that I've been to. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. Um, so how did we get to this point on Sunday, Dan? Uh, so I guess a bit of background. Uh, Houston had a smaller allocation than usual in their supporters section that game because two years ago they uh, set off some smoke bombs and flares in a fire evacuation zone and, and got sanctioned. Um so fast forward, they've got their section of 100 or 150, whatever it was. Uh, it's taped off. There are guys from the uh, El Batalon supporters group getting in fights at the <coughs> back of the stand and on the concourse. Uh, there are people in the front. And there's video. Um, if you uh, look on the blog, I did a did a story just kind of recapping some of it with the the various statements. Uh, there, there's people throwing beer cups at FC Dallas fans. FC Dallas fans kind of drawing back. Uh, there was at least one arrest. Um, you know, we kind of heard there were like five or six times during the game that Houston fans were getting in fights with people and then getting ejected or arrested. Um, at some point uh, around the 70th minute, there is a decision made. And this has to be signed off by the Houston front office. Uh, if any team takes more than 50 fans to an away game, there has to be a representative of their front office that travels with them as a as a, uh, a liaison. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there also has to be a, a security call uh, with the leaderships of the various supporters groups. And That's got to be the crappiest gig in sport, the chaperone for the supporters group. I don't know. Like one of the people that did it for Dallas and Houston always had a laugh. All right. Um, it, I guess it depends if you're a soccer fan or if you just work for the team. And, right. You know, which seems to be the case lately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not uh, editing that out, by the way. Yeah, no, yeah. Leave that or in. Or should you? Or should you? It's an observation. Um what was I getting to? Oh, uh, so the decision was made um, between Frisco Police and uh, Twerk Stadium Security. And again, it had to be signed off and agreed upon by the Houston representative that because they had charter buses, that they would just be put back on them and sent back to Houston. Uh, because they kind of got to a point where they couldn't, they couldn't pick out the individuals as much as the group at this point. Um, <coughs> You know, whether... But why during the game? That's the part I can't figure out. Your guess is as good as mine. Um, I don't I don't think it was a particularly smart idea. I understand that there was escalating situation that they wanted to prevent from happening. But there's also plenty of empty seats in that stadium. You could clear the FC Dallas fans out a few rows or move a section. Or, you know what, do what they do in England. Put, put them in the smallest little wedge in the corner... And put tarps over the ten rows to either side of them because it's a twenty thousand seat stadium that had fifteen thousand people in. There was plenty of space to do. That was plenty of ways they could have worked around it. Hmm. Um, you know, and to that point, um, the Dallas Beer Guardians, the FC Dallas Supporters Group, the Texian Army, the main Houston group, and uh, Austin Anthem, the supporters group for the uh, forthcoming Austin FC. How did they force themselves into this conversation, those annoying people from Austin? <laughs> that was my question, too. So they are going to be uh, members of the Independent Supporters Council as of next year. Hmm. Um, one of the new members, along with... Uh, They're so the, A-type. 
Yeah. Type A. <laughs> them, They're so the type A. Denton Diablos group and the Fort Worth Vaqueros group are all joining that. So the uh, the MLS Texan teams, uh, or groups rather, uh, are working to ensure that there is a clear plan for these uh, these future derby games because it same thing happens when it when when Dallas goes down to Houston. There's no plan. There's no anything. Um, you know, there was an incident. I think it was 2012-ish, where Dallas fans were just led straight into a crowd of Houston fans after the game, and of course, all hell breaks loose. Um, and I think Dallas was sanctioned for that. Houston wasn't. Um, it's just... All American right. soccer outside of Cascadia doesn't really... doesn't really have a good plan for, for travel and support. Particularly in Texas, and it's something they need to grow on. Uh, can I just say that I find people fighting over Houston-Dallas soccer match really boring and inane because it's it, i will fight you over that <laughs> look i get it but that's not a rivalry uh steeped in decades or centuries of dislike for each other it's you know you can almost count on a, a a few hands the number of times the team has played each other over the course of the last however many years it's I don't know. The idea that people get in fights over that stuff at either one or the other stadium just seems so silly. Well, when you compare uh, the Dallas-Houston rivalry in terms of MLS to its other rivalries, that one carries weight from other sports. You know what I mean? mean, There's a whole Dallas-Houston rivalry that's outside of sports, you know? Yeah, the rivalry. Let alone Cowboys or Astros or whatever. People come in with baggage on that one. Yeah. Well, it's the cities, not even the sports. Right. People people walk around calling Houston the armpit and Houston and all that. They drink our toilet water. That is true. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. No, I guess that's probably fair to say. But when you compare it to... I don't know. I, I just feel like the value of the 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 Seattle Portland one that when those guys get all uh, handbaggy yeah. with each other, I get it. When NYCFC and Red Bulls get all handbaggy with each other, I find that one silly too. Um, I don't know. I just it's just the the, I, the idea that Houston comes up here and people get in fights or Dallas people go to Houston and get in fights. Just I don't get it. I just I don't know. It seems silly to me. And I feel like we're just spinning our wheels spending a lot of time on something we shouldn't be but if it brings passion and uh culture and spirit to the game then hey, the loudest chant that's gone around toyota stadium in years was f houston <laughs> yeah i actually thought that game had the best in stadium atmosphere of any fc dallas game i've ever been to okay well in then in terms of good. chanting and tifos and whatever else i listen it takes two to tango on the fighting i i greet you on the don't fighting i think that's dumb but i did think the in-game atmosphere was phenomenal on that game yeah how about we just don't be dicks to each other all right i'm cool with that yeah yep. all right well very good well uh that should be a third degree t-shirt don't be a dick to each other <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, sure. Buzz, make a T-shirt. You, oh, haven't made a a, you haven't made a new T-shirt in a while. You should do that. Yeah, I got one. I'm, I'm still saving. waiting on L Trend 16. Oh no, Peppy's a nine, bro. There's no 16 L Trend. Get out of here. This is first team jersey number. No, he's a nine. Uh, missing out on sales there. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think I'm missing out on any sales on that one. <laughs> missing out on a sale. L sale. 
Hey, Buzz, do you want to update everybody on your uh, Patreon uh, situation and the new content you're producing? Sure. As we mentioned the other day, um, what I'm basically trying to do is, is sort of a, a mini podcast, if you, will, if you will. The shortest one's been about a minute and a half. The longest one has been about four minutes. Um, and they range in topics. I try to do one every day. Uh, the one today was about all the who might get called up and who won't because there's a couple more teams that are going to have call-ups. But then um, one of them was uh, about Thomas Roberts and where he is in terms of his progression. One of them was about a, the specific tactical shift that I talked about earlier in this podcast. I talked about it before the game uh, on Saturday so people would have an idea what to look for. Um, you know, it's, it's, the idea is to target a very specific piece of content for people that are willing to support, uh, the podcast and the website monetarily, uh, whatever the minimum contribution is, you would like to join in, you can get that content, uh, and it's available on the Patreon and you can listen to it on there by clicking on the button or you can download it like a podcast. So, um, it's, I think it's going well. We have about 41 Patreons that are supporting and I love the support that I'm getting from people and it's nice to uh, give them something back with a little bit of this extra content. Excellent. And you can find the link to uh, Buzz's Patreon over on Twitter at Third Degree Net. Right, sir? Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. It's patreon.com slash third degree. But you can, of course, also find it on the uh, mentioned on the blog and mentioned on the Twitter. And I'm sure it's easy, easy enough for anybody to find. If you want to give Buzz money and you work even a slightly bit of effort, just a little bit of effort, you can find it. No doubt about it. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, once again, Dan, kudos to you and everybody that works so hard on that TIFO. Seeing TIFOs inside uh, Toyota Stadium is always uh, a great thing to see, and I thought that one in particular was uh, super kick-ass, and I want to tell you how much I appreciate the effort you guys put into that because I know uh, it was no small feat. So it was uh, worth missing two weeks of podcasts to be in a hot warehouse? Yeah. Well, that's up for you to decide. You tell me. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Tired, leave me alone. All right, fantastic. All right, well, we'll see what happens this uh, weekend as FC Dallas faces off. It's the battle of the FCs. FC Dallas, FC Cincinnati, uh, let's go team. And uh, Buzz, Dan, thank you very much. Pleasure as always, Peter. Never a chore. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We'll speak to you next week on another fun-filled edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Thomas Robbins.